0: His
1: <laughs> <laughs> In the last episode, we were talking about Charles Albright, a.k.a. the Eyeball Killer, and how he had dolls with their eyes taken out in his home and how that was a huge red flag.
0: Yes, you are <laughs> correct. We did, we did talk about that.
1: So you had asked what red flags I look for when I go into someone's apartment. Yes. And I think the only things that I mentioned on the top of my head were the 3-in-1 shampoo and the no toothbrush holder but yeah. I had prepared more for tonight, Okay. more uh, extensive list.
0: Well, okay, so before you do that, I think I have something that would solve this problem altogether for both of us. Yes. Don't go into guys' apartments. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I was being nice and saying anyone's apartment, but since um, we're going to oh, okay. go well, ahead and call right. out
0: men. All right, yeah, we're saying that all men are serial killers, we so, at least I do when it comes to my daughter. <laughs> 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 okay, so what what else do you have on that list?
1: So, if they only have one pillow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, why?
1: Who only has one pillow? Who only sleeps with one pillow?
0: So, you're automatically a uh, psycho if you only have one pillow?
1: Yeah, <laughs> especially if that pillow's like flat, like a super flat pillow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that one, so what's what's next?
1: So... No cleaning supplies, or it looks like they haven't cleaned it since they started renting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'll give you that one. I and mean, that's true for anybody, right?
1: But maybe it's a good thing they don't have cleaning supplies because if they had like a lot of bleach in their apartment, I'd be a little concerned.
0: So, do you go in and actually look through their cabinets to, <laughs> or do you ask? No, them, but like
1: if they don't have like a mop or like do you just go a in vacuum, and say,
0: you say you go in. Well, you have to look though, right? You don't, you're not assuming they're sitting out in the open. So do you ask them, hey, do you have any cleaning supplies <laughs> or do you just nosy around in there?
1: Say that you have to go in the drawer or something. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. If they don't have like a vacuum or something, I think that's kind of weird.
0: Are you one of those people that snips in the medicine cabinet? <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> no, I'm the type of person, this sounds crazy, but if people have their uh, shower curtains closed all the way, I know most people do that because you know when their shower's gross, but I always have a fear that like someone's hiding behind there.
0: Well, I can understand that.
1: But that's like the only thing I snoop around, and that's where I see the three-in-one shampoo. <laughs> that's probably what they're hiding.
0: <laughs> what if they have the three-in-one shampoo? Shampoo, <laughs> shampoo in a non-labeled container.
1: That's concerning. Why would you have like no labels on it? <laughs> what are you putting it in that? You- all right, what else is on your list? If they have no toilet paper on the holder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm assuming in the cabinet under the sink because I'm assuming you've already looked in there for cleaning supplies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. So no, there's that, no toilet you, paper. You look in there
1: for cleaning supplies after you're looking in there for toilet paper because where where is it? What do you...
0: So there's no toilet paper anywhere. No. Yes, that would be a...
1: No soap. No hand towels. Who is this person
0: that you met up with
1: (laughs) that you're going to their apartment? Gathered list.
0: (laughs) They have no cleaning supplies, so if they have no soap, then they have no three-in-one shampoo.
1: They have three-in-one shampoo. That's the problem.
0: That's the only thing they have. (laughs) Is three-in-one shampoo.
1: (laughs) Three-in-one poo. What? It sounded like you're going to say three-in-one poo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh.
0: Green one shampoo is the only thing they own as far as cleaning supplies.
1: That's not considered cleaning.
0: <laughs> it is for your body.
1: But not for shampoo. Okay. Shampoo, conditioner, and body wash.
0: Isn't that weird? Some names for stuff shampoo, <laughs> mustard. <laughs> we could get into that list, but maybe another time. Okay, go, go on to your list.
1: <laughs> no hand towels. I don't know if I said that.
0: Well, if you have no soap. <laughs> what do you need hand towels for? And then, unless you're using them to wipe your butt.
1: <laughs> Ew.
0: Because <laughs> you have no toilet paper. What else?
1: I guess I can um, give them a little credit for having no waste. stick <laughs> I would
0: not assume that that's the case. <laughs> what else?
1: Bed sheets used as curtains or no curtains at all.
0: Or, or even worse, aluminum foil. Exactly. <laughs> Covering the windows.
1: (laughs) I'd be concerned for my safety at that point.
0: Yeah, that would be concerning. Okay.
1: I'm debating on putting this one in, but posters of half-naked women.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, that wouldn't be a very... It's just... Mature.
1: What we're talking about. Single men. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Bare walls. Unless you just moved in, having bare walls is a little weird.
0: Some people are minimalists. So if you go into an apartment... They have no cleaning supplies, no toilet paper, no soap, no furniture, a mattress on the floor in the bedroom, nothing on the walls. (laughs) Yeah, I would say red flag, warning, get out of there.
1: (laughs) I didn't say no furniture, but that's a good one. They have like those plastic furniture, like outdoor furniture.
0: (laughs) What about uh, the plastic coverings over the furniture? Oh my God.
1: First of all, I would be concerned that they're trying to kill me or something. <laughs> yeah,
0: so they don't make a mess on their furniture.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> no, thank you. I'd be concerned that they're trying to, like, kill people or they're really old ladies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> real old ladies in disguise? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I just met this guy. and I went to his apartment and I found out he was a real old lady. Yeah. <laughs>
1: He just, like, has, like, a floral couch that has, like, that plastic covering.
0: (laughs) Okay. Anything else?
1: I have a few more. Now I'm going to say flags and not just red flags that their entire apartment is spewing. I'm talking about just flags on their wall. That's their decoration. (laughs)
0: Flags or red flags?
1: That is red flags. (laughs) Okay. No, but, like, normal flags. I'm talking about, like, I don't want to get any hate.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah, we'll (laughs) leave it at
1: that. But that being their only source of decoration. No real dishware, meaning disposable or plastic dishware. Or paper plates. Yeah.
0: You have to give them credit for using plates.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I respect that. Or if they're all dirty dishes piled up in the sink. But they don't have any cleaning supplies. Yeah, so so they can can do their dishes. And for me personally, if their hangers are mismatched. But that's my own (laughs) personal issue.
0: I'm assuming mismatch coat hangers doesn't necessarily imply that they're psycho.
1: I guess,
0: uh, <laughs> or maybe they do in your mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Anything else, or should we get on with the show?
1: We should move on. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> what are you talking about tonight?
1: So I've always been the curious type of person of what the first true crime cases were, but I know realistically it's impossible to figure out what the first crime was. So tonight, I at least have the story of the first missing child and ransom case to make national headlines, which would be the major event of its kind until the Lindenberg baby kidnapping in 1932.
0: Okay, sounds interesting.
1: During the summer of 1874, two men in a horse-drawn buggy pulled into a wealthy neighborhood in Philadelphia and befriended two little boys who were playing in front of their home. Four-year-old Charlie Ross and his six-year-old brother Walter chatted with the men who gave them candy for five days in a row. Walter had told their father, Christian Ross, about the men, but the only thought that had crossed his mind was that someone fond of children had an act of kindness and given the boys candy. On July 1, 1874, the men pulled up as usual but offered to take the boys to buy candy and fireworks for the upcoming Independence Day holiday, and the boys agreed. As they went further, Charlie wanted to go home and began crying. After going a ways away, the men sent Walter into a shop with 25 cents to buy fireworks alone. When Walter came back out, he noticed the buggy along with Charlie were both gone. The boy's father, Christian Ross, came home later that day and hadn't seen them anywhere but thought they were just playing in the neighbor's yard, but the neighbor told them that she saw the boys get into a buggy. Walter was returned home by a stranger who identified himself as Mr. Henry Peacock. Sounds like a fictional character to me. (laughs) Peacock explained he found the boy crying and lost in the Kensington neighborhood of Philadelphia. Walter told his father that a few hours earlier, a man with a reddish mustache and eyeglasses drove up in a buggy. Beside him was another older man, also wearing spectacles, and distinguished by what Walter described as a funny-looking monkey nose. (laughs) this is a a little kid, so. Yeah, okay. (laughs) They're not very nice with their descriptions. (laughs) Mr. Ross immediately notified the police. The officers just assured Ross that his son had undoubtedly been taken for a ride by a pair of drunken fools as they had been unaware that a crime without precedent had been perpetrated in their city.
0: Wow, that's a seriously trusting society Mm -hmm. that even at this point, they don't believe that something wrong is going on.
1: Yes. Days after the return of Walter on July 3rd, the father, Christian Ross, received the first of 23 crudely misspelled ransom letters. 23?
0: Yes. Yikes. Obviously, they were trying to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Okay.
1: We is got him, one part read, and no powers on earth can deliver out of our hand. You will have to pay us before you get him from us and pay us big cent too. If you put the cops hunting for him, you is only defeating you own end. End quote. Now it kind of sounds normal, but the spelling is completely off. Kind of sounds normal. As in, like, like the I don't know how to say the misspelled words because get is. No, I with...
0: mean, but the the wording is not.
1: No, no, I know, but I mean, some of it, it's like the misspelling, like get is G I T and. Yeah, grammar is not that great either. Yeah.
0: Well, you were worrying me there for a minute because you said this sounds normal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, for the most part, <laughs> you, you anyway, know what I, mean. I, know, I, know, I know. Yeah. The second letter from the kidnappers arrived two days later demanding $20,000 for Charlie's safety. So $20,000 in 1874 is equivalent to about 400000 today. Wow. Yeah. Now, the quote from the second letter was, you will see you child dead or alive if we get you money, you see, get him li- live, if no money, get him dead.
0: Do you know if they were, they were purposely writing this poorly or?
1: The thought is that they were purposely writing it like that.
0: Okay, because I mean, that's bad by any standards unless they were just totally illiterate.
1: Well, I don't know. This is in the 1800s. How well was education back then? Well, that's what I
0: mean. It's possible that they could have not been able to really read and write.
1: Now, Mr. Ross did not tell his wife, who was recovering in Atlantic City from an illness, but two days later she found out through the advertisement in the newspaper for her son's return. That would be absolutely terrifying. Even though the family lived in a wealthy part of town, the family's fortunes decreased significantly due to the stock market crash of 1873. Mr. Ross was forced to go to the police since he could not pay the ransom police and other authorities urged Ross not to pay. They believed doing so would encourage other kidnappers and no child would be safe, and Ross agreed reluctantly. Within the following weeks, Ross communicated and negotiated with the captors by responding to their letters through personal ads in the newspaper, to stall time while the police had a massive manhunt. Every steamship, canal boat, ferry, stagecoach, and covered wagon traveling into or out of the city was searched. Eventually, they did a house-to-house search in the entire city.
0: The entire city? Yeah. Wow. Must not have been a big, big city.
1: Probably not. (laughs) Yeah. At the time, probably not. Yeah. Detectives searched endlessly for Charlie with no real leads. Later that year, police were investigating the kidnapping of a Vanderbilt child and found a ransom note in that case that matched closely with the one for Charlie Ross. They identified the handwriting as fugitive convict William Mosher's. In December, two criminals, Joseph Douglas and William Mosher, were shot during a burglary gone wrong in Brooklyn, New York. Mosher was killed instantly. As Douglas was laying there dying, he confessed that the pair had been responsible for kidnapping Charlie Ross. He told the authorities that Masher was the only person who knew where Charlie was being held, but that he would return safely in a few days. He never was.
0: That's messed
1: up. Two hours later, Douglas was also dead. Police later arrested a third member of the gang, William Westervelt, who was a disgraced Philadelphia policeman and brother-in-law of William Mosher. Westervelt insisted he was not involved in the actual kidnapping, but police were convinced that he was in fact involved in the kidnapping of Charlie. While waiting in prison for his trial, Westervelt told Mr. Ross that Charlie had been alive when Masher was killed. Westervelt went on trial for the kidnapping of Charlie Ross in August of 1875. Jury found him innocent for the kidnapping, but he was convicted for conspiracy and sentenced to six years in prison. The misery for Christian Ross did not end at the deaths of Masher and Douglas or the incarceration of Westervelt. In 1876, he wrote The Father's Story of Charlie Ross, the Kidnapped Child and put all the profits from the book into the search for his son. Thousands of posters were posted in police stations, railroad stations, post offices, and ship ports across the nation. Over several decades, the Ross family spent over $60,000 looking for Charlie, which included following leads investigating over a 1,000 imposters who claimed to be their missing son.
0: That has to be messed up. I mean, the whole thing is messed up, right? Not knowing, keep hearing this, he'll be returned, stuff like that. Yeah, But then to have all these imposters come forward and then have to deal with trying to figure out if they're...
1: It's got to be so, like, discouraging.
0: Yeah. And much harder to try to prove or disprove that back then compared to today.
1: Yeah, especially, yeah, the lack of DNA testing and stuff. Yeah,
0: just devastating.
1: I wonder how they uh, found out that they were imposters.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good question.
1: Charlie's father died in 1897, his mother in 1912. The Ross Mansion was torn down in 1926, and Walter Ross died in 1943.
0: Wow, what a bizarre story.
1: One of the last and most enduring claims was that of carpenter Gustave Blair. In 1939, an Arizona court ruled that he was Charlie Ross after he told a jury that he vaguely remembered being held prisoner in a cave as a small boy, and that the family who had raised him told him that he was a kidnapped victim.
0: So that's what they based their decision on? Yeah. <sighs> Gotta love Arizona.
1: why don't we just keep going through all the states (laughs) bash all the states (laughs) after the ruling he officially changed his name and traveled to pennsylvania but the ross family refused to accept him the kidnapping of little charlie ross was one of the great crimes of the time yet what really happened to him remains a mystery that's sad yeah and fun fact but not so fun fact that's where don't take candies from stranger comes from really Hmm. yeah
0: that's interesting. interesting
1: So that's the sad story of Charlie Ross. That's all you have? Yes.
0: Yes, very sad.
1: I hope he was alive living somewhere else. It's unfortunate for the family, but I hope he was okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, very, very hard for the family.
1: That's it on my story. What do you have for us tonight?
0: Tonight, I am going to be talking about the Philadelphia experiment. So I have to say I'm a bit nervous about this. This is kind of a take two. We had done this story, or I had done this story, on a previously recorded episode. But then after listening to it, kind of decided it didn't come out too well, so we kind of scrapped it. Yep. If you think our podcasts are bad, you should hear the episodes we don't publish.
1: Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're not great.
0: The Philadelphia Experiment revolves around an alleged experiment conducted by the Navy in 1943. So this was at the height of World War II, around two years after Pearl Harbor. Hmm. The Navy was testing a device they hoped would render a ship invisible, not just on radar, but visually as well. So basically a cloaking device. You're smiling. <laughs> it's kind of like an XXL version of Harry Potter's Cloak of Invisibility.
1: That'd be nice if it wasn't in a fantasy movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, now listen. The project was called Project Rainbow, but the experiment took place in a Philadelphia naval yard, thus, the name the Philadelphia Experiment. The book, The Philadelphia Experiment, was published in 1979 and was written by William Moore and Charles Berlitz. And there was a 1984 movie that was loosely based on the story. Side note there was also a 2013 movie, which is, was even more loosely based. But I got through about twenty minutes of that one, and I couldn't watch it anymore.
1: That's usually how it goes. Yeah,
0: the '84 version stars Michael Pare. The movie isn't an Oscar contender, but I like his acting, so I enjoyed it. Although I imagine the special effects are laughable now.
1: <laughs> Probably. So, yeah,
0: so maybe not a movie you want to go rent or whatever. Go rent, like <laughs> go down to the blockbuster. <laughs> yeah,
1: oh my god, R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so. That concludes our 12 past three goes to the movie segment for this episode.
1: Goes to the movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Amazingly, I still had a copy of the Morbelitz book in my stack of paperbacks. So I did do a little reread on it, but I won't go into that because it's not book club week. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, there's much more information available today than there was when I first heard about this story. Yeah. And I was running across a lot of discussions about how this was a hoax, how the man who started the whole thing was mentally unstable.
1: Isn't that what the government wants you to think?
0: You're stealing my lines.
1: (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Go ahead and say it.
0: Well, first of all, all that stuff was, you know, it was kind of questioning whether to do the story, whether it was worth doing after reading some of that. But then I realized me believing the story is fake and believing the man exposed the man who exposed it is crazy is exactly what the government <laughs> wants me to think. Uh, case in point, just to kind of...
1: Also, aren't we all a little mentally unstable?
0: Uh, speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I will agree with that. You are mentally unstable. No, just kidding. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> just kidding. I was watching an episode of The Unexplained, so the, the History Channel show hosted by William Shatner. Yeah. And they were talking about the belief that there is a government organization called the Majestic 12 or MJ-12, whose purpose it is to manage UFO cover-ups. Now, this is just kind of going back to the point of, you know, wouldn't this be what the government would want you to think? Yeah. Shatner was explaining on The Unexplained <laughs> how experts, put that in quotes, say even that if the organization did exist they couldn't possibly keep these secrets contained for very long. You know, information would get out somehow. Yeah. Leaks or whatever. They said it is much easier to convince eyewitnesses that what they saw wasn't there in the first place. Convincing people that they didn't really see what they saw.
1: That's so rude.
0: Yeah, but it ma- it makes sense, right? You know, instead of trying to say that it didn't happen, just convince them that it, what they saw wasn't really what they saw.
1: So making people feel like they're crazy.
0: Yes makes sense that they could also start misinformation campaigns to discredit a story or convince people that the person who came forward is mentally unstable. So I'm going with that. I don't believe all the debunking, and I'm telling the story. The government cannot take us off the air. No. I have a prepared statement I've been asked to read. No. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, where was I? Okay, Philadelphia experiment. It all started when a man named Carlos Allende, it was later determined his real name was Carl Allen. <laughs> this This was my first clue of why this story has to be true. This guy couldn't even be creative with Azaleas. <laughs> How could he have possibly come up with this story? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> 1956, Allen sent a series of cryptic letters to Morris Jessup. Jessup was an author and amateur astronomer. He wrote a book called The Case for the UFO. The story Alan tells about the experiment goes into space travel and aliens. So I'm sure that's why he chose to contact Jessup. But I'm going to stick to the basics of the story. When you get into the space travel and aliens, the story does grow into some really fantastical stuff. And that's why I think things are starting to get thrown into the story to make it sound you know, crazy Yeah. so that people will start questioning it. So I'm not going to believe it. The Navy was developing ideas that came out of Einstein's unified field theory. I won't attempt to get into a discussion of Einstein. Einstein, Einstein.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You can't even say his name. (laughs) (laughs) I can't get into
0: discussion. theories. (laughs) Einstein's theories, yes. uh, That's why I'm not going to get into it (laughs) because I'm not smart enough. No. But what they got out of it had to do with gravity and electromagnetism. And whether they could generate a, le- a electromagnetic—I can't even say that. So <laughs> how can I understand the theory? Generate an electromagnetic field around the ship, and basically bend light around it. Kind of makes sense, right? So yeah. you know, light is light can be bent, right? They bend it bends around the ship. So what you're seeing, light passes the reflection. What you're seeing is what was actually behind the ship. So it's not actually disappearing. It's just distorting. The visual.
1: It's like a um, funhouse.
0: Yeah, like a funhouse mirror. Anyway, that was more of a discussion that I wanted to get into that. <laughs> I think that's why I went off the rails last time. <laughs> there were numerous reported experiments, but I'm only going to talk about uh, two significant tests. The ship used for the experiments was the USS Eldridge. It was a newly commissioned destroyer, which was important because it was believed that at the height of the war and battle in the Atlantic the Navy would never have given up a fully outfitted in-service ship with a full crew for any type of experiments. Yeah, They just didn't have the resources. But the Eldridge had just been commissioned, and the group conducting the experiments were able to get their hands on it with a skeleton crew for a short time before it headed out to service. You look confused.
1: Skeleton crew? <laughs> well, not actual skeletons. <laughs> Come on.
0: <laughs> it's not that crazy of a story.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs>
0: In the book, Moore and Burlitz go into details about their efforts to track down the movements of the Eldridge and another ship's crew who had witnessed the experiment to see if they could verify whether the ships could even be placed in the areas that Allen alleges when the experiments took place. Wow, that was a mouthful. <sighs> they ended up with circumstantial evidence at best, but that might have been because they couldn't get their hands on all the records or information or the records could have been doctored. Hmm. So if you visit your primary care physician, would you say you've been doctored?
1: Oh my god. <laughs> we're going to lose listeners because of that.
0: <laughs> well, we can't go into negative numbers, so we're we're safe for now. <laughs> the other ship was the SS Andrew Fureseth, which Carl Allen said he was on when he witnessed the event. Sorry, I keep, I keep thinking of his name. He's like <laughs> Superman in his glasses. Yeah. Is that Alan or is that Elend? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so the scientists get their hands on the Eldridge and it, it is outfitted with equipment to generate the magnetic field. Right? On the first test in the summer of 1943, after firing up the generators, It is said that witnesses described a greenish-blue fog engulfing the ship, and then the fog and the ship both disappeared.
1: What color fog?
0: Greenish-blue. After a while, on one account, 15 minutes, the equipment was shut down, the fog reappeared, then slowly dissipated, and then the ship reappeared.
1: That sounds like something from (laughs) (laughs) Scooby-Doo. So,
0: success. The cloaking worked. Yeah. But... They found the crew to be disoriented and nauseated. The Navy then decided that they wanted to limit the capabilities of the Ravart. (laughs) 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 I can't talk. Because of the problems with the crew, the Navy then decided they wanted to limit the capabilities to radar invisibility only. So they asked the experimenters to crank it down a little bit. (laughs) So based on that, the equipment was recalibrated for the next test. On October 28, 1943, the final test is said to have been performed. After turning on the generators, the Eldridge initially became nearly invisible, only a portion of its hull remained visible. But after a few seconds, the Eldridge disappeared in a flash of blue light, and then several minutes later, it reappeared. So apparently somebody didn't get the note about what they wanted (laughs) because the ship disappeared again. Yeah. When the test was shut down, many of the men who were on board the Eldridge were said to have become violently ill. And some men had completely disappeared.
1: So like they didn't come back
0: with the ship. Right. And this is where, again, I think misinformation comes into play a little bit. A number of men were said to have been fused into the metal of the ship. The men that did survive were said to have not been right in the head after that and had been discharged from the Navy as mentally unfit. A few hours after the experiment, reports started coming in of the Eldridge mysteriously appearing in Norfolk, Virginia, some 200-plus miles away. It was seen by the men on the Seth for a few minutes before vanishing. So the experiment that disappeared and then they reappeared somewhere else and then it came back. Yeah. In 1988, a man by the name of Al Bialek, I believe that is correct, claimed he had been aboard the Eldridge when it disappeared and that he had been brainwashed to forget what had happened. Hmm. He claimed seeing the movie brought back the memories.
1: That's interesting. Could you imagine watching a movie and having like a full deja vu moment?
0: That'd be weird, especially if it was a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be scary.
1: You're like watching The Shining and it's all deja vu. Yeah, I'm like, oh my god, I'm I starting to remember this.
0: <laughs> so an alternative explanation that they want you to believe, I think. I found a website that stated, Today most people are inclined to believe the explanation put forth by Edward Dudgeon. Dudgeon was said to have worked as a Navy electrician and stationed on the USS Eldridge in the summer of 43. He said generators were placed on the Eldridge for experiments. However, the term rendering the ship invisible in the experiments that took place did not refer to physical invisibility. Instead, it referred to invisibility to German torpedoes and mines. So many of the mines and torpedoes Germany used had detonators that were triggered by the magnetic field uh, of a ship, just the, the natural magnetic field of the ship. This allowed torpedoes to explode before actually coming in t- contact with the ship, so that it would have a bigger blast radius. Degaussing is what they call demagnetizing something. If you, why if you would you?
1: Why would you not just say demagnetizing? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dudgeon also said that the greenish-blue glow could be explained by a phenomenon called St. Elmo's fire, which is a luminous plasma created by strong electrical fields, mostly a weather phenomenon generated by lightning. Hmm. He also had an explanation for the appearance of the ship in Virginia. They have an answer for everything, don't they?
1: Yes, they do.
0: (laughs) Okay, so there is an inland waterway called the Intracoastal Waterway that runs along the Atlantic coast, so off the shore down the Atlantic coast from Boston down to the Gulf of Mexico. It's basically a man-made river. Yeah. Or canal system, right? It has actually been around since the early history of the country, but it has evolved over time as needs have changed. During World War II, it was a way to move commercial and supply ships safely down the coast without the dangers of the open sea and worrying about German subs. Yeah. U-boats. I'm assuming this is what Dudgeon was talking about when he said that the ship could have traveled by inland canals, which he stated were off limits to civilians at the time. He said the use of the canals could have shortened the trip from two days down to six hours. That's still still a pretty good gap in time. Yeah. What I think is interesting, though, is how far Dudgeon goes into his explanation. And this kind of goes back to convince them, them they didn't see what they saw versus, versus denying that it ever happened. There were only two people who came forward claiming to have witnessed the experiment. Alan, who they said was nuts. Yeah. And then Al B., whatever his last name was, who suspiciously came forward after seeing the movie. So with only the two claims, it seems like it would have been real easy just to dismiss the whole story as it never happened. Yeah. But instead, judging goes through this elaborate explanation of what they could have actually seen.
1: Yeah. Seems a little suspicious.
0: A little suspicious. So anyway, so that was it. Believe it or not, conspiracy theories or not, it's up to you. I think it's an interesting story. I'd like to think it's plausible that someday we could
1: be invisible.
0: Be in, yeah. Be invisible. I certainly wish we had that these days. For like, social
1: reasons. Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: If you want to go outside lo- so the neighbors to don't say hi to hiding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> be invisible, yeah, so nobody can confront me when I'm out in the world. Confront you about? <laughs> <laughs> you know, hi, how you doing? Oh yeah, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So I'll just leave that story at that. I'm not sure how that came out. Hopefully better than the first time we did it. Well, we like we were both responsible for it. First time I did it.
1: I don't even remember the story I did in that episode. Well,
0: I think you were sleeping at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Have anything else before we go?
1: No. Check okay. out for red flags. <laughs> yes, check for red flags.
0: Don't go into strange as apartments.
1: Or horse-drawn buggies.
0: Yes, yes, definitely don't do that
1: and manifest invisibility cloaks.
0: Yes, manifest invisibility cloaks. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Make sure to visit next week for more weird and creepy stories. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 12past3 or email us at podcast at 12past3.com. Good night. Good night.